0: is then that will affect everything because I don't know about you but if you live in North America this will probably have happened to you at some point at supper time there's a knock on the door and usually two people are at the door with certain literature and they're gonna ask you this some question about Jesus and depending upon which uh, group that is the question they're gonna hone in on is that Jesus is just a God little G okay and the question is, how do you answer that? Okay, so do you have an answer ready to be able to go to the Bible and say, let's take a look? If you don't, I'm going to give you some helpful hints here this morning that Hebrews 1 is a great place to start. So that's one thing to get your attention. Is Jesus little g God? And if so, there's implications. If he's big g God, then there's lots of implications as well. The second thing is this. We're going to talk a bit about... because. This chapter talks about angels. Now I don't know about you. It seems like werewolves and vampires are more popular than angels right now. But angels are a very hot topic. And if you go to chapters, you go online. Man, the LA Angels were in playing Toronto. The Blue Jays they swept them this week. That was those were not angels in our uh, for Blue Jays. Okay, there's lots of movies about angels, TV shows, commercials. I looked up the top 30 songs of all time that have the word angels in it. I had those songs playing in my head all week preparing for the sermon so don't do that okay and then there's lots of books so like I said if you go to chapters okay here's just a little sample because it's a huge section if you go to a secondhand book stop it's even a bigger section but here's just a sample of books angels from a to Z or Z depending upon where you're coming from know your angels ask your angels angelic healing angelic voices angels and endangered species meditating with the angels this one got my attention, angels and aliens, okay? And this one's my favorite, Big George, the autobiography of an angel. I kid you not, okay? All that to prove a point, there's a lot of talk about angels, and it's amazing, a lot of time, angels get more talked about and more worshipped and more fascination with angels than people do with Jesus, and that happened in the writer of the Hebrews day. It happens in our day, and we're going to take a look at why. So basically, the writer is setting out for Hebrews to accomplish this. And in chapter one, the writer is actually building towards the next 12 chapters. So we're going to take a look at these specific passages, but you have to realize this is the beginning chapter, which is setting a foundation for all the chapters that come after it in writing the letter. And the author wants to do this. The author wants to Build a case, almost like a lawyer, and saying that Jesus is superior. And in this case, angels, which we're going to take a look at. Because he's building a case to this, that Jesus is actually superior, and we'll look at it in other weeks, than all the other prophets, all the other priests, and all the other kings. And this is where he starts with angels. How he does this is this. What he does is the author takes two, sorry, he takes Three sets of two passages from the Old Testament. So if we're, and then what we're going to read, he goes two quotes from the Old Testament, builds a case, two quotes, two quotes, and then God's perfect number seven, he ends with one other quote. Okay, so we've got seven quotes. So this is what we're going to take a look at, and this is what we're going to read right now. Okay? So you can follow along. We'll start at verse one from Hebrews. So long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, than theirs and this is where he the author begins to quote from the old testament for to which of the angels did god ever say you are my son today i've become your father or again i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son and again when he brings the firstborn into the world he says let all god's angels worship him the second one of that or the angels of the angels he says he makes angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, Like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So we're going to look at a few reasons why today Jesus is superior than the angels and we'll pick up. Later on, in a few weeks' time, how he's superior in other, to prophets, other priests, and other kings. So The first thing we want to take a look at is this. Jesus is superior because he's unique as a son. So the writer quotes two verses. So this is the first set of two verses that he quotes in the Old Testament. He quotes from Psalm chapter 2, which is quoted quite a bit in the New Testament, saying, you are my son, today I've become your father. He also quotes from 2 Samuel 7.14, where he takes just one part of a verse. But if you want to read that section, it's an incredible section in the Old Testament because God is making promises to David, who at the time was the king of Israel, and he makes these incredible promises to David saying that your lineage, your ancestors are going to rule, they're going to have a kingdom, and it's going to go on forever, and your descendants will always be on the throne. And of course, people thought that Solomon was going to be that. And you realize as you read the story, it refers to a lot more than what Solomon could accomplish. So Solomon built the temple, but it's referring to the Messiah in David's line. And so at Christmas, that's what's an important connection. That's from David's line, that there's a king coming who's going to reign in a kingdom forever. That is the starting point for the writer of Hebrews. And what he wants to, he goes back to verse 2. Brent looked at it last week. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. So the writer hones in on Old Testament that word son is really important that he's proving that Jesus as the son of God is unique from angels and anyone else. Now here's the thing that we have to do. To build sort of this argument in this case, we've got to take a look at a couple of things the writer does that are kind of assumed but we need to point them out for our talk today but also for the talks that are coming up. Because as Brent mentioned last week, the Old Testament's quoted in Hebrews more than any other book. And we just finished the Psalms over the summer. Well, we did a few Psalms. We didn't do all 150. But these ones, it's interesting, most of them are taken from the Psalms. And so there's a few foundational things we have to take a look at. One is this. The writer of Hebrews assumes that in the Old Testament, God is speaking. Because the writer of Hebrews never actually quotes who wrote these verses in The Old Testament it is assumed it's God speaking so he doesn't say well David said this in Psalm so and so he just quotes it as if God is speaking and so that's really important for us to really handle the word of God everything from Genesis to Revelation that this is God speaking yes he spoke through physical people and they wrote it down and it was recorded but the bottom line is this on this premise and this assumption that God is speaking And God is the author of the Old Testament. That's really important for us to understand. The thing that goes along with this are two key things. Not only is God speaking, but what God has spoken is truth. So the author of Hebrews can rely on the Old Testament to build an argument because the author believes the Old Testament with God speaking is true. So, it's not just a made up fairy tale. It's not just random things put together by different poets and historians and different prophets and different priests all put together. And it's kind of like, you know, just an assimilation of books. No, and this is the other thing it's what theologians call it's unified revelation. From Genesis to Malachi, it's all put together because God is the author. So, even though it came through different time periods, in different languages, through different seasons of life, through different people, it came through kings like David and poets, and there's all kinds of different things. There's history in it. There's narrative history. All of those things working together, it's God as the author writing the story, and it's unified, and it's God revealing his will, and his purposes, and his plans, and it's true. That's what the author, that's the premise, the assumption, the baseline, the author of Hebrews is coming from. And the other important thing is this. The author sees the Old Testament bearing witness to Jesus Christ. And this is really, really, really important, okay? Another way of saying that is this. As we look back on the Old Testament, the writer of Hebrews does this. Jesus is the center of the interpretation of the Old Testament, okay? And that's really important in the writer's day. That is really important, okay? So I don't know if you uh, remember a book a couple years ago. A guy, he's He wrote this book after living biblically for one year. Do you remember that book? He took the Old Testament, and he tried to live out everything in the Old Testament, and he was saying, if people really believe the Bible, why don't they live this way? Okay? And it became, you know, he was on all the things and all those things. And people were like, yeah, yeah, people really do believe, but why won't they live like that? Because of this. We now interpret the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, and it changes everything. Okay? jesus is the center of interpretation so all the things that were written in the old testament okay you put on a set of glasses now reading them because of the new testament and because jesus has changed history and now we see the old testament through the eyes of jesus and that's what the author's done so he's able to quote these passages from the old testament and we'll see even more saying jesus is the fulfillment these promises, these prophecies, these truths that God has spoken. Okay? And the other thing I should mention just about this, about Jesus being unique as a son. Brent mentioned it last week, and I encourage you to listen to it again because it's an excellent foundation. When we say that Jesus is unique as the son, it doesn't mean when Jesus was born on planet Earth that Jesus didn't exist before that. Okay? And Brent did a great job, so I'm not going to repeat it. You can go back on that one section that Brent did last week. But it's worth saying, again, Jesus was always the son. Okay? He existed before he landed on planet Earth, part of the Trinity forever. Okay? This is the main thing. When it says, today you've become my son, that word today, all the theologians agree with it, it's referring to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus that Jesus always was the Son, but the resurrection and Jesus ascending back into heaven afterwards, it verified, it made public that he is the Son. So he already was the Son, but now it's like public knowledge. He is the Son. So that's really important that we don't go, Jesus the firstborn over all creation, and so he's the first and no, Jesus always existed. But when he rose from the dead and he ascended back into heaven and now he's seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning in power, it's this. He is now made manifest publicly that he is the Son. He always was before, but now we see it. Okay, He's received okay, in a public way. He is the Son of God. So Jesus is superior because he's uniquely the Son of God. Everything that was prophesied, in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Jesus. That's the argument. The Old Testament is true. It was God speaking. It's unified all the way through. We interpret it now through Jesus. And if you want to know more, I invite you out this Wednesday night, as Keith mentioned, where you can talk more about the Bible. Okay, is the Bible true? Is it relevant for today? All those things, because this is the premise which we're coming from. It's the Word of God. And you can learn more about over the next few weeks, more about people, about Jesus, and how all that works together. So I encourage you to do that. The second thing is this, that the author hones in on. Jesus is superior than angels, because he builds an argument that angels actually serve God. And the author says, and again, when he brings the firstborn in the world, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. Now, just a quick Background on angels because in our day and in our time, if you were to go and read most of those books that I just referenced before, which I say, don't please don't go read them, okay? Especially Big George, don't, don't read that one, okay? okay? In our day and in our time, angels are much more like this they're a good luck charm, so we have like we want a guardian angel. They're very mystical, and usually it has something to do with that. It's very much sort of like in a magic sort of way that an angel. And a mysterious, as you're dying, an angel appears. And you have some sort of experience with an angel. And it's totally disconnected from anything to do with Jesus. Okay? We need to have a biblical understanding of angels. And as we take a look, we see all the way through the Bible that this. This is the good news. Angels are real. Okay? So the author believed angels are real. And if we take a look at, sort of from a biblical point of view, what angels are Angels, one thing they do, as we're seeing, they announce key events. So angels took a part in speaking to Abraham and different things that God was going to do. Okay? Angels spoke to Moses in revealing what God was going to do. And we certainly see angels on the scene as we, some of you are going to be mad at me for even saying it, approach the Christmas season. We see angels are everywhere in the Christmas story. Because an angel appears to Mary, an angel appears to Zachariah. Hey, when Jesus is born, it's the angels who are saying to the shepherds, okay? So angels are real. They're announcing, okay, God's will, God's plans. The other thing angels do is this. They protect God's people. So you can go through, and there's all kinds of examples. It's really fascinating, and you read it in the Old Testament, how God sent angels to protect the Israelites. They fought and protected for the nation of Israel, as God's people at that time. They provided things. So you read about Elijah. Remember when Elijah ran away and he was afraid of Jezebel, and he's like, "God, just take me. You know, I'm the only one left. Like, kill me now, sort of thing." Jesus or God sent angel to go, and the angel fed him. The angel served him. And we see a similar thing with Jesus, didn't we? He fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. He was tempted by Satan, and what happens? Angels come and serve and minister to Jesus. And then we keep reading in the New Testament, the book of Acts. Peter's in jail and there's the, the, one of the original jailbreaks. An angel comes and speaks to Peter, okay, and gets Peter out of jail. So we see these things. Angels announce key events. They're servants of God. And what the author is trying to do is the author is trying to say this. We might kind of say, don't worship angels. and We almost were like, get people away from angels. The author does the opposite thing. The author's saying this. You know what? Angels are real, and they are to be revered. Every time an angel appears, what happens? People fall face down, and the angel saying, fear not. <laughs> and the angel's saying, don't worship me. The angel's saying, worship God. I'm a messenger. They're to be respected, revered, in awe. Now here's what the author's trying to say. Okay? And maybe you might find yourself in this place today. Okay, If you maybe have an interest in angels, fascination, Okay, we're not coming down on you to say, Don't do that. What we're saying is the author's building the case is this. If you respect and revere and are fascinated and want to talk to angels and all these things, they're created by Jesus. And they worship Jesus. And they serve Jesus. Then if you're fascinated with angels, and angels are fascinated with Jesus, then maybe we should be fascinated with Jesus as well. So if angels get your attention, the author's saying this. Good! Now guess what? Jesus is even superior and greater than the angels. So if you're fascinated with angels, guess how fascinated you're going to be with Jesus. And that's what the author is saying. So we don't worship angels. If an angel appeared to you sent from God, the angel would say, Fear not, but don't worship me. Worship God. And the author of Hebrews is saying those Old Testament passages that are saying angels worship God are equating angels worshiping Jesus, which equates Jesus is God. That's the connecting all the dots to build that Jesus is superior than the angels. That's what the author is trying to establish. And that is true for us today. So if your friends are fascinated in angels, and man, it's a big market. There's figurines, everything to do with angels. Okay, that's a great starting point to say, you know what? Angels, you're fascinated in angels? Angels are fascinated with Jesus. And it points us to Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. He's unique as a son. That puts him superior than angels. Angels actually worship and serve Jesus. Therefore, that makes Jesus superior. He's the one who actually created them and they're made for his purpose and for his glory okay third thing and we're going to take some more time to worship god with our voices okay? that's just emphasizing that point. point third thing jesus is superior because the author is building this whole thing that jesus is king and that he has eternal authority okay so the three verses the author uses he uses psalm 45 and if you read it it's like a psalm it's believed to be for like a king at a wedding party but it's referring to god and this he uses psalm 102 and then he ends with a psalm of david psalm 110 and he builds from each of those things and what the author is doing using these scriptures okay and they're the longer ones, so i couldn't fit them all up here He's building a case about Jesus in his role and position okay, as king, creator, eternal, and also in the function of Jesus. And what he's building this case is Jesus is not only the creator of the world, so the word of God spoke. That was Jesus' creation came into being, which is an incredible, amazing thing. And Brent touched on that as well last week. He's not only the creator, he's this. He's the original Terminator, so it wasn't Arnold in a movie, okay, 20 years ago. Jesus not only created the world, Jesus is going to have the say on when the world's going to end as well. And that should get our attention because the Bible says that we're going to be accountable to Jesus for how we lived our lives. Okay, and that's the building, what he's saying here, that Jesus in these things, okay, and this is really, really key that the author understands Jesus, the Son, is equal to God. So remember I started out by saying, if someone knocks on your door, people want to talk to you about Jesus just being a God, little g. Okay? These verses are building such an incredible argument to be saying, no, Jesus is not just a little g God, Jesus is God. And one of the powerful verses is this one in Hebrews 1.8. Okay, it's one of the most explicit references to Jesus as God found in the New Testament because it's like God addressing God. When he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God, the Father, is referring to Jesus the Son as God. Okay, it's like God speaking to God. So God's the one speaking through the Scripture, and God's saying, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, referring to the Messiah who is going to come. And the scripture goes on to say that he's anointed, which is connection with the Messiah, the one who is sent from God, who's going to be the king. Your kingdom's going to have a kingdom that reigns forever and ever and ever. And the promises to David about his descendants ruling and reigning forever are going to come true. And they're found in Jesus. Jesus is equal to God. So he's not just a little G God. Jesus is God. And the author is establishing a foundation right here in chapter one to go on to chapter two, three, four, five, six, seven. And we're going to be talking about Moses and priests and other kings. And he's establishing right at this foundation Jesus is equal to God. And that's foundational for everything because it comes down to this. You can say, Joe, okay, but how does this affect my life? <laughs> That's the question we're trying to get to. And here's the answer. If you deny that Jesus is God, so you deny his deity, that he is equal to God, and you just think Jesus is little g God, and he had some good things to say, and he had some good things about peace, and he had about the whole love each other and all those things, and you end there, then you miss out on all the things that Jesus said. Because if you deny his deity, then you deny his authority. And that is where the crunch comes. Because Jesus said things like this. That we're going to stand before God and give an account of our life. And God's going to say, did we believe in his son, Jesus? And we're going to be accountable to say, yes, I did. Or no, I thought Jesus was just a little G God and I didn't. So I didn't follow all the things that he asked. Do you believe that's going to happen? Because Jesus says it will. But if you think Jesus is little G-God, then Jesus has no authority, and you won't listen to what he has to say. And you'll pick and choose some good things that are popular right now, and the rest of it you can just say, well, I'm not quite sure what that was all about. That's fundamentally why this is a big deal. Because either he is or he isn't, and depending upon, there's there's no other options, folks. It's those two options. And for Christians, yeah, we're, we're saying, no, we, we're not just going to pick and choose. Jesus is the Son of God, and we're going to listen to what he says. And Jesus, if he really is king forever, and he created the earth, and he'll end it, and we're going to be accountable to him and all these things that go with it, then he has authority over our lives. And we should line up with his authority. Okay, That's... And you remember the context Brent talked about last week that the letter was written. It was into a season of persecution when it was about, are you going to follow Caesar? Are you going to follow Nero? Are you gonna, or are you going to be persecuted and are you going to die for your faith? It was entering into the extreme persecution. And that's why the writer saying, Jesus is king. That's Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is Powerful. Jesus has authority. That's the context he's writing in. Jesus the son is lord over heaven and earth. Jesus started everything and Jesus will end it. So he's building this thing. Jesus is the creator. Okay? But guess what, folks? The earth, quoting from Psalms, is going to wear out. <laughs> it's going to be like a change of clothes. It's going to get worn out. But the author saying, "But your throne is going to be established," Forever and ever. Okay. angels, you know what? They're like flames, they're like wind they're whoo, they're here and then gone. Jesus never changes. He is eternal. the same yesterday, today and forever. And the author's saying this is so important because the last thing we're going to touch on in this scripture here to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet this answers the question about persecution you can say if jesus is ruling and reigning and jesus is resurrected from the dead and he's ascended and he sat down at the right hand and he's lord over all things and he's defeated satan and he's defeated death and he's defeated sin then why am i in the predicament that i'm in I still battle with things. I'm getting persecuted. Life isn't that great. Okay? Since I've become a Christian, my world has even fallen apart even more. And the temptation is to say, I'm going to go back to my former way of life. And this answers the question. Okay? Satan is a defeated foe, but not all of Jesus' enemies have been brought under his feet as a footstool yet. And so we live in this great tension of the now... And the not yet. And the not yet is not all his enemies. Okay? So not all demons have been brought and bound and are quiet and subjected to the rule of Christ. The now is we have authority over demons. But they're still manifesting. They're still annoying people. They're still possessing people. They're still harassing people. Okay? We still have, we don't even understand it all powers and principalities that haven't been brought completely under control. And the only way I can say it, okay, is in my sports illustration, so I'm sorry, folks, for those of you who don't like sports. The only way I can say it, I just talked to Dan Steves about this, okay? Dan's helping coach the Leo Hayes football team. They won by a huge amount. It could have been a whole lot huger, okay? They won, whatever, 46 to nothing with their sort of third string, now, Dan and I are talking, here's the thing. At the end of the, se- end of the first quarter, they were up like 30 nothing. The game's over, even though there's, what, three more quarters to go. The game's only a quarter done. It's a done deal, folks. But the game goes on. And Dan's saying, man, I'm just glad the other team didn't play dirty because they could have tried to take out all of our guys, even though they knew they were going to lose. And Satan is a defeated foe. At the cross, Jesus defeated Satan, demons, sickness, death. Through his resurrection, he conquered sin and death. The end result is inevitable. Satan will be defeated. It's a done deal. It is finished. But we're still living out life, and we've got a defeated enemy who wants to rob, kill, and destroy and take out as many people, even though we know the end result is going to be and folks we are in that battle and if you don't know you're in a spiritual battle you need to wake up to the spiritual battle that you're in and you have an enemy who wants to do everything to take you out and he doesn't play by the rules and he's dirty and he's a terrorist and he'll try to come in in different ways and you have to be alert and you have to understand this that jesus one day despite the persecution now and people are being martyred and killed throughout the world for their christian faith one day we know this jesus and his father are going to say enough and things are going to come to an end and every power and principality is going to be made the footstool of jesus and he will rule and reign over his enemies and the bible says that if we're in christ we're going to rule and reign with angels actually over angels (laughs) with christ and the good news of a new heaven and a new earth no more tears no more pain no more sickness no more sorrow, no more harassment, because Jesus is going to make all things new. And that's why the author is saying, don't give up. Don't give in. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. You have to know who Jesus really is. He is the Son of God. He's unique as a son. He's even above angels who are quite powerful, okay, He is superior in every way. He is God. He is the eternal king. He's going to have a kingdom that's going to last forever, and nothing can take it away from him, and we're going to be part of that kingdom. So therefore, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You look to Jesus. You keep trusting Jesus. You hang on for Jesus, because these things are going to pass away, but we're going to live forever in his kingdom, in his glory, forever and ever and ever. And that should give you hope to get through today. Yeah, you can say... And that, folks, is how Hebrews written 2,000 years ago that you say, reading those verses, I know some of you are just saying, like, man, this ain't for me. (laughs) Reading these quotes, Old Testament, like Psalms, like what are we, how does this apply to my life, folks? This applies to your life. And the author in his day, and we want you to know today, there's always a battle for who Jesus really is. Is he little G God? And if he's little G God, then you can pick and choose some of the good things he said. okay? But if he is God and he has authority and he is going to be eternal king and he is unique son of God and he is greater than angels and everything else, then we better learn what he says and pay attention and we should probably line up behind him and we need to trust him and persevere. So that's the application today is Really, who is Jesus? Okay. And I encourage you, in your life groups this week, you should have some great discussion on these things. Okay, In your own walk, okay? Take some of those things that Brent's developed, are excellent resources, go through even on your own, okay? And at life group, wrestling with some of these things, okay? Take the time. If you missed last week's message, okay, I'm telling you, take 45 minutes. You're on Facebook for 45 minutes, you don't even think anything of it okay take some time listen to the message because it builds as we go okay and you need to with god's help understand how does this affect us corporately as the body of christ today and how does this affect each of you personally if you're going through persecution okay this should help empower you to hold on to jesus as he holds on to you and to persevere If you have friends who are like, you know what, it might be in other religions, it might be whatever, okay, hammering you with Jesus isn't really God. What are you talking about? There's no proof for that. There's everything, okay. You need to be able to correctly handle the word of God and we're trying to help you say no, okay. Let's take a look at things. There's arguments from scripture that line up thousands of years ago that go way beyond just where we're at today. And to help equip you to say Jesus isn't just little G God, Jesus is the son of God. And that changes everything. Okay? So let's worship the Son of God. Let's sing about Jesus as our great and mighty King. Okay? Let's get our hearts and our minds wrestling and stirred and awakened to who Jesus really is.